You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. We absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law. We need to safeguard financial stability. 2024 is not going to be an easy year. We used to call it the dream of home ownership. But look at Britain now. We've got to hang on to optimism and hope because it is the biggest driver of change. Let's stop thinking of life in terms of Brexit. Let's move on and look for the future. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Burden. Anti-Semitism. Well, Lizzie, we've documented Labour's struggles over a number of years with this issue. Since uh, 2020, Keir Starmer's tried to make a clean break from Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the party. But in the past few days, with fighting still going on between Israel and Hamas, Starmer has found himself dealing with another incident of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party ranks. Now, he's been forced to withdraw support from Azhar Ali, the Labour candidate in the upcoming Rochdale by-election after Ali's anti-Semitic remarks uh, that were made last year and that resurfaced. Now look, Ali apologised for suggesting Israel deliberately allowed the October 7th attacks to happen, but then further revelations about his comments meant he's been suspended from the Labour Party pending an investigation. The revelations really mark the ugly return of anti-Semitism to the forefront of Labour politics, and they kind of threatened to undo the efforts by Keir Starmer to prove that Labour's fixed its relations with the Jewish community in Britain. At last year's party conference, we spoke to the former Labour MP, Luciana Berger. She'd just returned to the Labour Party Mm. after her decision to leave under Corbyn in protest at what she called the party's failure to combat anti-Semitism. And here's what she had to say when we spoke to her last October, just days after the attack on Israel by Hamas. We asked her whether the party had done enough to win back Jewish voters. There's been so much that's done and it's exceeded my expectations. So I rejoined the party in March of this year when the Labour Party was taken out of special measures that had been imposed on it by the Equality and Human Rights Commission when they investigated the Labour Party and found that under the previous leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party had breached the Equality Act and had been found guilty of the victimisation and harassment of its Jewish members. That was very dark findings and the party had a big job to do to turn that around. Uh, And to Keir Starmer's credit and his leadership, a lot has been done and enough was done to take the party out of special measures. Now, I'm not complacent and... I don't think that's, you know, tick 
all of the job has been done but certainly this conference that I'm at here today in Liverpool in 2023 is incomparable to the conference that I experienced that when I was last here five years ago in 2018. So that was the former Labour MP Luciana Berger. They're speaking to us in October of last year at the Labour Party conference. Lizzie and I, that was quite an optimistic and more hopeful Luciana Berger. And you heard a clear feeling that Starmer was on the right path, that he was regaining the trust of the Jewish community. So one might ask why we're back here. Joining us to discuss is Bloomberg senior UK government reporter Alex Wickham. Good morning, Alex. Um, just tell us the sequence of events then and exactly what happened with the Rochdale by-election candidate. So this all started on Sunday when the Mail on Sunday newspaper published a story uh, revealing that this uh, candidate, Azza Ali in Rochdale, had, at a comment of the local Labour Party in the weeks after the uh, October 7th attack in Israel, suggested that Israel had allowed the attack to happen as a pretext for it to invade Gaza. So essentially uh, pushed a conspiracy theory that, that you know I- I Israel was sort of putting the strings behind the whole thing. Now, he immediately apologised. Um, Labour came out and said look, this is out of character. We think he's an ally of the Jewish community. Um, we've never seen anything him say anything like this before. Um, so we're standing by him. That was their line all the way through Monday until the Daily Mail went to the Labour Party again with further comments that they'd uh, obtained through a recording of this meeting uh, where he seemed to blame Jewish people, as he put it in the media, Um for the suspension of a pro-Palestine Labour MP over comments that they had made, um, which for the Labour Party was you know, too far, and they suspended him as their candidate, essentially meaning that Labour doesn't have a candidate in this Rochdale by-election now, and bringing Anne Simpson right back to the front of, of Keir Starmer's agenda. Oh, it feels like Groundhog Day. Well, in a moment, we're going to speak to Martin Ford KC. He was charged by Keir Starmer with investigating this whole issue of anti-Semitism under his predecessor, Jeremy Corbyn. And Alex, you've tracked the Labour anti-Semitism issue over many years. Just put into context for us, would you, Ford's report and the response to it. Well, the Ford report was you know, looking into these sort of really deep-seated problems that Labour Party had through the con in the context of its handling of anti-Semitism under Jeremy Corbyn, but also bringing in sort of factional warfare in the party, bullying, uh, other other forms of racism, and and really you know just generally pretty bad behaviour all round through the structures of the Labour Party and trying to see how those could be improved. Now, you know, I, I don't think anybody would argue that. Keir Starmer hasn't made improvements to the Labour Party in this in this area, as we heard from Luciana Berger there. But clearly, there is work to do, and this is really the last thing that Keir Starmer wants to happen in an election year is for this issue to come up again and cast out over the Labour Party. Mm. Alex. Stay there. We're going to come back to you in a moment, but we'll continue this conversation because Martin Ford KC joins us now to discuss uh, what's been happening with the Labour Party. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio and thank you so much for your time. So you heard a little bit from Alex, his perspective on your report. I'm sure you'll give us many more details. But firstly, I just want to understand your perspective on what has happened. Anti-Semitism, is it still clearly a problem for the Labour Party as far as you're concerned? Um, I think anti-Semitism is a problem 
nationwide. And I think the problem with those who regard themselves as left-leaning often is that they don't examine their attitudes. They, they think suggesting they're left of centre means that they're almost immune from any criticism around um, anti-Semitism or, or any other form of racism. And that simply can't, can't be the case. I think what concerns me about this particular case is that this gentleman was being recorded surreptitiously and no doubt thought he was in a safe space. And that's where I've certainly found in my personal experience that when people think they're among like-minded people, uh, reveal their true colours. So I think that's what would disturb me the most. Having said that, I do think the current leader has done extremely well to get an element of the Jewish community back on side. And obviously one wants Jewish members of the party to feel they're in a, a safe space. But there are still concerns that there can be differences of treatment when this issue arises in terms of... Um, the actions of the party. So I was very interested that JLM and the Board of Jewish Deputies um, understood why the party might back that candidate. It was close to the election. Um, he couldn't be changed. Um, but I would contrast that, for instance, with the length of time it's taken for the Diane Abbott uh, position to be resolved. That, that occurred last April. And, of course, we've recently had an, an incident with Kate Ossamore as well. And they're definitely those within the, the party that have contacted me that feel that the, the, the treatment is still factional rather than transparent and consistent. So could Keir Starmer have handled the Azhar Ali case better? I think it's really difficult, this. I mean, <laughs> I've never been a leader of a political party and you can't expect a leader to micromanage absolutely everything. But, you know, you're very dependent upon the quality of your advice, your communications team, your policy advisors. To my mind, because of the historical issues, it was probably unwise to think that a, a, a swift apology, given you know the appalling nature of the comments that was made, would make this issue go away. And also, to my mind, and I'm not a politician, the Daily Mail's never been a friend of the Labour Party. And one of the ways of kind of perpetuating a sting is to drip feed the information. And I'm just slightly surprised that they didn't think, well, this is the first line of the story. They've probably got more. Um, I, I dare say they're very much regressing that they didn't take the action they've taken very so recently immediately. To, so it speaks to Keir Starmer's political judgment, which is something that Rishi Sunak too has been criticised for. Yeah, well, whether it's political judgment or whether it's the quality of advice, as I've said, you know, there are two by-elections this week. Um, you know, he's, he's probably busy campaigning. They're, they're obviously potentially an imminent election, a manifesto to get together. But mm. one would have hoped that somebody within the organisation would have thought this needs to be nipped in the, in, in the bud and alarm bells are going, going to ring. We've done so well. We've made so much progress. And this could set us back a great deal because that's, you know, why you're talking to me about it. And I'm sure he'd much yeah. rather people were talking about policies than this issue. Well, and I mean, you um, today have talked about Keir Starmer's response to this as being a shambles. I mean, this the comments from the MP were an out and out anti-Semitic sort of conspiracy in some ways. Is it not problematic that the report that you did into anti-Semitism, but also the kind of wider um, how the Labour Party sort of operates and responds to racism and 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 
issues within the party. 154 out of your 165 recommendations, the party says that they have enacted, but it didn't work in this case. And surely investigations should have been a bit more thorough in what is a hugely important year, as you say, for a general election and this by-election. I mean, there are 11 that weren't enacted. Some of those are ones which we were hoping the party would um, deal with to try and remove a factional element from the disciplinary process. I think... Um, so basically the 11 the system, that were not included, the ones that were missing, are the most important bits of the report that, that Keir Starmer did not enact? I wouldn't say they were necessarily the most important bits, but... There's always a balance in any regulatory system between cost and effectiveness and and proportionality. And we were probably setting up quite a gold standard. But I was concerned that the way in which some of these cases are investigated and the length of time they take was something that we wanted to try through recommendations to add a bit of impetus to. So, again, if I go back to Diane Abbott's case, that blew up in April. I think within minutes, if not hours, she'd apologised. She still has the whip withdrawn. Here we are in February. Um, the gentleman in Rochdale apologised and was immediately backed. And there's certainly concerns about factional treatment. And I heard one of Jeremy Corbyn's advisers saying, well, if this gentleman had been seen as being on the left of the party, he'd been left languishing. But because he's on the right, he got the immediate support. Now, I don't know how true that is, but it was certainly the perception of many of the people I spoke to in the course of the inquiry, that you didn't get equal and consistent treatment depending upon which faction you were identified with. And, okay, well, and on what the we point, were trying to do. On Sorry. the point of inconsistency, you've accused Labour of, and I'm quoting, in effect, operating a hierarchy of racism or of discrimination. Is that still the case? Well, again, I, I'm a lawyer, so I chose my words quite carefully. I said there was a perception. We had 1,100 submissions at the time when the membership was about 500,000, so it's difficult to quantify. But what I felt the party needed to be aware of was that a number of their activists and members felt that certain types of allegations of discrimination were not investigated as rigorously and as swiftly as others. And the major contrast seemed to be between anti-Semitism and misogyny versus other types of discrimination, whether that be uh, anti-black or anti-Asian um, discrimination, where we had many, many complaints and submissions. Clearly, there are self-selecting groups, so I can't tell you how representative they are, but I, we were at desperate pains to make the party aware of the fact that there was perceived to be a hierarchy of protected characteristics. Is this part of a wider issue around identity politics? If everything comes down to race, gender, sexual orientation or any other particular grouping, it then does become harder to look at policies if everything is divided into factions and tribes based only on, on, on those sort of attributes. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think one of the, the problems, I mean, social media is you know, kind of the megaphone that enhances these differences as well. I'm, I, I've never ceased to be amazed at how little people really know about those that they uh, criticise. I mean, I, I know that lots of people who you know, describe somebody as a Zionist have no idea what Zionism is. It's not necessarily pejorative. Equally, um, there are uh, issues with people not understanding that those of the Jewish faith also have a separate ethnic identity. But equally, 
one of the things that concerned me was that there must be a, a space in which you could be critical of Israeli politics uh, or political decisions without being rendered automatically anti-Semitic. To me, it's a bit like, you know, my saying that I thought Robert Mugabe was a poor leader of Zimbabwe. Uh, and somebody saying, well, that makes you immediately an anti-black racist. And mm. these are difficult spaces to navigate. Mm. And I think, you know, you, you, you do need strong guidance. And, 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 you know, the party needs, I think, to kind of grasp this nettle and say, these are tropes. These are unacceptable. This is the education we expect you to undergo. This is the information that we're giving you to make sure that you don't, whether deliberately or inadvertently, fall into these traps. I mean, I have to say I was astonished that it was said that this gentleman had been the victim of a conspiracy theory. You know, one would hope that you'd have a calibre of candidate that would be able to work out truth from fiction, or at least, as I know you journalists have to do, to second source things. This was a wicked conspiracy that I think I first heard of probably the following day. Um, and you know, in my mind, I, I completely dismissed it. But um, I, I said I, ha I wasn't particularly impressed with the nature of the apology, which then led to the support either. Well, this feels, as I said, a bit like Groundhog Day. The issue doesn't seem to go away. How can Keir Starmer move on and put this in the rearview mirror? Can he when you've got the Israel-Gaza war going on? Again, I mean, as I said, I'm not a politician. It's not for me really to, to advise him. I came in as an independent uh, reporter. I think that it's really difficult. You can't please all of the people all of the time. They're clearly um, those of Palestinian heritage or, with, or, or, or with, with links to Palestine who feel that he should be calling for a ceasefire rather than a pause. And there's this huge issue about you know, what is reasonable self-defense these are difficult things to negotiate but our concern when we were writing the report was there didn't seem to be any room for respectful debate everything gets really polarized and i just think there needs to be a great deal more maturity people can agree to disagree but they can do so respectfully and it just mm. seems as i said in the social media doesn't help there seems to be a real inability in politics at the moment for people to say I fundamentally disagree with your stance, but I respect mm. your point of view. Well, in that sense then of respectful debate and sort of trying to think about these immensely difficult issues, we all have internal uh, conscious and unconscious biases. How did you try to address that yourself in this major report that you delivered? I mean, some time ago now, but I, I wonder how you went about thinking about it. Well, I think that, from childhood, I've dealt with a kind of, you know, ir ir totally irrational racism. And, and, and what that taught me was that people need to understand other people of differing backgrounds before they can pass judgment. You can't do it just on appearance. You can't just do it on political stance. And I've spoken to many organisations about anti-racism, and I'll say, look, you know, it's often portrayed as a white v. black issue, but I know there's racism within the races and there's races, racism within people that you would identify as having the same racial characteristics, but they might be you know, a different tribe, speak a different language. You might find that 
if there's a a boxing match, you'll support the person who looks most like you, which is irrational. If the commentator then goes on to explain that the one you're not supporting shares your politics and the one you are supporting is diametrically opposed, then you probably change your allegiance. All mm. I'm asking people to do is to is to is to just pause for a moment, give people a chance, and then pass judgment based upon facts rather than appearance. Okay. This this could be a huge issue for the Labour Party. You know, they are 20 points ahead in the polls. This may well be the next government in the UK. It, you know, you have talked about this kind of factionalism, these, the, the difficulty of coming, um, you know, of coming together and, and having a civilised debate and understanding people's different perspectives. I mean, is there, is there a worry then? Uh, you've talked about racism, um, but also anti-Semitism, misogyny and other forms of discrimination. Is that going to be an issue for this political party that may well end up in number 10? Well, I think that, as I said, I think these are issues really for, for the nation as a whole and the surprisingly endemic um, attitudes, particularly around misogyny. I mean, we had you know, some fairly stark things said to us by female members of the, the party. As I said, I think there's, the need for respectful debate is something, particularly Baroness Lister was very keen to look at cultural change, but it appears to have fallen pretty much on deaf ears. And maybe, maybe this is the wake-up call that the, the party needs, because there's nothing more unattractive to an electorate than a divided, factually divided party. Um, and it also means you fail democracy if you're in opposition, because it's so busy infighting, you're not providing effective opposition. And I think that's been a problem for far too long. Um, you know, even if you're on natural Tory support, you would still like an effective opposition to hold the government to, to account. And certainly among our younger people, younger electorate, I think they're completely turned off by um, factionalism in politics. And there are certain kind of aspects of short-termism um, around things like infrastructure, education, health, which are, you know, talking to young people, they think this should all be above politics, really. These are vital services that we need to provide regardless of who's in power. Mm. And I do find that sort of going into Westminster a bit, as I have done recently, I mean, I was never political animals such it's a very strange atmosphere the house of commons and I, I just wonder how close the politicians are to their to their electorate i i find at times the things that are said and done which make me feel um that there isn't a real understanding of you know how people lead their ordinary lives Okay, well, the distance between Westminster and the nation, an issue as we head towards the 2024, probably, general election. Martin Ford, KC, great to have you on the programme. Thank you for sharing your insights. We're going to go back now to Alex Wickham. We promised we would. You were listening to that conversation, Alex. What did you make of it? A really interesting thing that Martin Ford was talking about was this idea that there's a could be a perception and Keir Starmer is in danger of there being a perception that rather than that he wants to solve anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, it's that he is presiding over a factional uh, divide in the Labour Party between essentially the right of the Labour Party and the left of the Labour Party. So Martin Ford brought up these examples of Diane Abbott and Kate Ossimore, who've been very quickly disciplined by Keir Starmer's Labour Party for uh, comments that they've made. There's another one, Andy MacDonald, a left-wing Labour MP, very quickly uh, had the book thrown at him for, for a comment that he made uh, about Israel-Palestine. Now, 
Labour Party's gut reaction with Azza Ali was to defend him and they tried to do that for 24, 36 hours. Is that because they thought his comment wasn't that bad or it was out of context or it was out of character? Or is it because Azza Ali is not on the left of the Labour Party as traditionally seen? And there is a danger for Keir Starmer that he's, he's sort of being seen to be taking part in this sort of factional game rather than just making honest and quick judgments. And do you think that the unity in the Labour Party is just a mirage because they've got such a poll lead? Is your analysis that actually after the election, if they were to win, that image of unity, if there is one, would just fall away? Well, it's certainly the case that you know, Keir Starmer, his advisers, they brag about how they have essentially purged the, the the very left wing of the Labour Party from certainly any any prominent roles. They've got rid of the people that they see as sort of you know, very left wing cranks, the people who were causing the problems under under Jeremy Corbyn. But the problem is that it, this isn't just left wing people complaining about uh, Starmer's handling of the last few days. These are there are people within the shadow cabinet. There are people you know, high up in the party who are saying, come on, we need to get a grip of this. We shouldn't have allowed the £28 billion mess to drag on for that long. We shouldn't have allowed the Azza Ali mess to drag on for as long as it did, the mm. 48 hours that it did. We should have made quick political judgments that this is a problem, deal with it. And we haven't done that. And and so he does, it, is a, it is a wider problem. And you're seeing, even before the election, you're seeing heavy internal criticism. Our thanks to our senior UK government reporter Alex Wickham then for being with us and discussing our interview with Martin Ford KC. That's it from us for today. Thank you for listening. And if you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Marifal Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.